welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. If you have a Bible, turn to the Gospel of Mark. We're preaching from Mark, and I want to jump into that. I'm really thankful for Pastor Tom and uh, Brenda that were with us last week. Did anybody enjoy uh, Pastor Tom's message last week? Yeah, preaching on finishing well. And um, man, I thought, I, thought, I thought he did, he did well in that. It's good because he, you know, he's a very different preacher from me. And so it's good for you guys to, to have different voices and different perspectives. And, and uh, some of the, the I, love, I love people that have lived a little while, you know. I love people that have been through some stuff. Um, I, I, I enjoy just older, older uh, men and women of God who've walked with him for a while. I feel like we can learn a lot from them. And so I hope that you're taking notes last week as he was talking about how to finish well. But we are in the Gospel of Mark uh, chapter 3. If you can go ahead and put it up there on the screen. We're walking verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark. Those of you that are new uh, to City Chapel, we've been here for a few months. And um, I don't know, is it? It's going to be up there. Awesome. So, yeah, the first six uh, verses. No, no, no. We're, we're, we're past that. We're on verse 7. We're going to start on verse 7. Um, I guess the guy, she, she hasn't, she skipped two weeks ago. That's, that, that was the issue. Cassie hasn't been here. Um, verse 7 G, starts off with these words, but Jesus withdrew. And I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that there are 11 different times in the Gospel of Mark that it talks about Jesus withdrawing. And this word withdrew is used 11 different times of Jesus. And it's interesting, the different reasons for him to withdraw. In chapter 1, Jesus withdrew in order to pray, in order to connect with God and with his Father. But this time, he's withdrawing for a different reason. It's because people want to kill him. And so he withdraws from the city. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. That's the, the Sea of Galilee. I just, I just thought, man, I, oh, I don't know if I gave you the slide for the picture. Did I, did I give you a slide for the picture of the Sea of Galilee? I had a picture set up. I don't know that I did. Oh, sorry. I think I, I think, think I forgot to give you that. Um, no, I, I wanted to give you a picture, so I'm just going to have to talk through it for you. The Sea of Galilee, uh, if, you, if, you, if you looked at a map, it's kind of like an egg shape. It's kind of an oval-shaped Sea of Galilee, uh, and, it, and it butts right up to Capernaum. So a lot of what's happening in the Gospels, especially the Gospel of Mark, happens in Capernaum. So Jesus is in Capernaum, and he, he withdraws from Capernaum to the Sea of Galilee, and it's actually almost like a bowl. The Sea of Galilee is in like a bowl. It's in this low area with these mountains or hills kind of all around it. Uh, so I, I did have a picture, so I'll have to, maybe, maybe next week I'll show you that just so you can get a good visual of what's going on. But he withdraws to the Sea of Galilee, and then it says a great multitude uh, from Galilee followed him. This multitude was from Judea and from Jerusalem, from Edomia and beyond the Jordan, and those from Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude. I talked about that a couple weeks ago, how we are the multitude. Um, uh, I, I, had, I had originally planned to preach a message from the multitude to the mountain, and I spent too long on the multitude, and so I said, well, I'll be back next week. And so we talked about how the multitude, the, uh, the multitude is the Sunday morning. For me, it's a Sunday morning gathering. This right here is the multitude. This is a, a gathering of people from Tyre and Sidon and Edomia and Jerusalem. These different places represented different people groups, both ethnically and religiously. And here in this room, we have people from various skin colors, uh, various ethnic backgrounds, and also various religious backgrounds, and also various political backgrounds. And so we have people who think differently. But that's okay, because in the multitude, Jesus is the center of attention in the multitude. The multitude is not there to rally around a particular political opinion. They're not there to rally around a particular skin tone or, or really what's more popular nowadays. It used to be like back in the, in the 50s and 60s, it's like you had white churches and then you had black churches and you had brown churches and never the, the, the three shall meet, you know. Uh, but nowadays it, it seems like multicultural church is becoming more and more normal. But what's, what's not so normal is age, multi-age churches. I've noticed, man, that 20-somethings want to go to church with 20-somethings. <laughs> and gray-haired people want to go to church with gray-haired people. 
Because all those youngins, you know, their music is too loud. And, 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 and then those young people, it's like those, those, the boomers don't get me. And it, it's interesting. Nowadays, we're, we are discriminating really based on age. And people will walk into a church. If they're, if they're in their early 20s, they'll walk into a church, they'll see gray hair, and they'll be like, wow, that's just, that's just not for me. I can't, so I can't identify with those people. And then there's vice versa. People with gray hair walk into church with young people and be like, wow, that's just, just not for me. And what's interesting is that when Jesus gathers a multitude, they're not centered around a particular generational uh, identity. It's not just the Gen Xers. It's not just the Millennials. It's not just the Boomers. They're not, they're not, they're not centered around a, a particular generational identity. They're centered around the person of Jesus. This is what the multitude gathers around. And when a multitude gathers around Jesus from different ethnic backgrounds, different religious backgrounds, different age backgrounds, different, age, you know, different stages of life, Different, you get married people and single people in the same room, right? And they all gathered around Jesus. Well, guess what? Though as many as touched him were healed. And that's what it says, because he is at the center. And in fact, this crowd is so big. Verse 9, he told his disciples that they should have a small boat, keep it ready for him because of the multitude, lest they should crush him. For he healed many so that as many as had afflictions pressed in about him to touch him. And the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, You are the Son of God. And then he deals with those. He sternly warned them that they should not make him known. And, he, and then verse 13, and he went up on the mountain. So uh, last week, well, really two weeks ago, but last time I preached, I really, I, I focused on the mount, uh, on, on the multitude. Never really got to the mountain. Like you got the mountain t-shirt right there. Never really got to, is that like Paramount, but Jesus Christ? It's like, okay, cool. Uh, it, it, it never really got to the mountain. Uh, stayed really with the multitude. And I talked about how if you're in the multitude, the key to success in the multitude is initiation. You initiate. So I talked about on Sunday morning, man, get, like, get ready on Saturday night, come early and lean in. I think that was my three points. Get ready, come early and lean in. Uh, judging on today at 10 a.m., very few of you actually took that to heart. So please write that down. And when you go home next week, remember, get ready, come early, and lean in. I'm thankful that when you got here, you leaned in, though. That was nice. That was, that was a good step. But the first two you're missing out on, okay? We do actually do a song at 10 a.m. That's just when worship starts. It's, a, it's, it's really cool. The worship team practices it and everything. And so they're kind of ready. So if you guys were here at 10 a.m. too, that would be awesome. Plus, that's when the coffee's hot before they shut it down. See, we actually serve coffee before service. You, some of you don't even know that, but we do. And, 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 and it's ready. And Jackie and the team are there. Mary the, and uh, yeah, uh, Dorothy, they're there. They're, they, they get here like 8 a.m. They get here like 8 a.m., set things up. They sacrifice their sleep. And I'm trying to make you all feel bad. So, 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 so get ready. Come early. Lean in. But that's, that, that's, that's how you get. That's how you touch Jesus. That's how you get a touch from Jesus rather than just, just a visit to a church service. And my prayer for you is that you actually come into communion and koinonia with Jesus on Sunday. Like, I don't want this just to be like, well, I checked it off my list. I went to church. No, man, this is a koinonia moment. This is a time for us to connect with Jesus and for you to be physically healed, mentally healed, emotionally healed, spiritually healed, relationally healed. Like, God can do all that. But you got to be here at 10 a.m. So I'm just saying that just, that's just, <laughs> it's right here in the Bible somewhere. I'm sure, I'm sure it's in there somewhere. Um, oh man, but you, no, only the ones who touched Jesus were healed. And so you got to, you got to, like, you got to get there early. You got to press in. And today though, we're going to go to the next verse, which is verse 13. And he, Jesus, went up on the mountain. And called to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him. Then he appointed twelve that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out demons. And this is the list of those that he that he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, that would be later on. Uh, 17, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name um, Borneg, uh, Bo Boanerges, which means uh, sons of thunder. <laughs> 
Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and our personal favorite, Judas <laughs> Iscariot, who also betrayed him, and they went into a house. So this, 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 this passage to me, when I first read it, I was a little frustrated by it because there's, there's, there's so much happening, but Mark gives so little detail. Instead, Mark focuses on things that I often don't focus on, which is geography, which is why I really wanted that picture. And so I'm sorry that I didn't get it to the tech team because um, I was looking because it says in verse 13, and we can put that verse back up there because I'll just walk through these verses. It says in verse 13 that Jesus went up on the mountain. And I'm like, the mountain? What is the mountain? It's not a mountain, it's the mountain. What, what is the mountain that Jesus went up on? So as you begin studying, most scholars believe that the name of the mountain that Jesus would have went up on was, was called, and I, I, I want to get this right, the, the, the Horns of Hattin. It's still there today, it's, uh, which, is why, which is why I had the, there we go. That's what I'm talking about. So that's, that's the picture. The, the, this is the horns of, of Hattin. You can see beyond, so they, they call it the horns of Hattin because it kind of, it's got those two peaks to it. And uh, this, this is an elevation about 820 feet from uh, where, where Jesus would have started out. You can see the Sea of Galilee beyond it. So this is looking at the mountain from behind the mountain. And you can see the Sea of Galilee behind it. You see that, 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 that water. It's a little fuzzy, I guess, but pixelated. But, but that's the best picture I could grab. So that's the Sea of Galilee. So I, for me, getting a visual just helps me understand so much of what the early readers would have just understood. They had actually been there and they know what he's talking about. I don't naturally understand that. I haven't even been to the Holy Land. I'd love to be there. I'd love to go there sometime when I feel like I'm not going to get blown up. Like that would be awesome when it's not a war zone. That'd be, I might not get to it in my lifetime. But, but no, this is the Sea of Galilee from the perspective of the, of the, the horns of a teen, which scholars believe this is the mountain that Jesus went up to. It's an 820 foot climb. And you see the beach, or you see the, 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 the coast there, and the Sea of Galilee, which is really just kind of a big lake. And um, that's the mountain that Jesus... So we, we, we can actually leave that up there, because to me, this gives me a picture of what, what's happening. Jesus is, is there. He's with the multitude. People are touching him. They're being healed. He's casting out demons. He's dealing with generational curses. He's dealing with so many awesome things. And then Luke actually gives us the detail that it was at night... That people were starting to leave, they were shutting things down, and that's when Jesus went up onto the mountain. Jesus starts, it's about a three and a half mile trek, and that's kind of the, 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 the straight way, the, the, the shortest way. You can, in fact, you can still take hikes on this uh, today, um, because this is also believed to be the site of uh, where Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5. And it's, and it's believed that it kind of coincides with this story. That Mark doesn't touch on it. But after, the, after Jesus calls his disciples, that, next, that, that morning, people are coming back to him. And that's where he gives the Sermon on the Mount. So you can sort of see how they could all sit on this side and on that side, right? And they could all hear him project his voice. So it's just cool for me, the visual. But Jesus goes up into the mountain. And, 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 and this is where we have a shift because we have multitudes, we have people touch, pressing in and touching Jesus, but now we have, we, have, we have this large number of multitude, but we have a small number of people who actually go up onto the mountain. And this is what I feel like God, when God gathers a multitude, he doesn't gather a multitude just to heal them, just to deliver them. He does. Those are, those are within his plans. But he's got next steps for them. And I feel like many of us at City Chapel have been in the multitude for a long time. We've never made the journey to the mountain. And I believe that God, right now, at the end of 2022, that God wants to challenge some of us to make a journey to a higher level than where we've been. That the multitude is good. There is healing that happens in the multitude. There is... Um, a touch from Jesus that happens in the multitude. But there are some people who experience a touch, those people stay in the multitude. But there are others who experience transformation. Those transformation happens on the mountain. And so I want to show you that because in this picture even, just, just even this picture, there's some things that kind of, kind of stick out to me about really mountain moments. 
That, that, that God doesn't just want you to have a multitude moment where you get a touch from heaven on Sunday. But God wants you to have a mountain moment where you have a transformation and really where you find your mission. You find your purpose. You find your, 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 your power. This is the, the power comes from the mountain. The, the mission comes from the mountain. The, the sending out. This is where he sent out his disciples. This is where he empowered and equipped them. So that they were not continually just simply a multitude depending on that weekly checkup with Jesus. And so you don't, you, you don't abandon the weekly multitude. You don't, you don't quit on that because there's still a lot of people that need his touch. And so we bring people into a weekly multitude so that they can have his touch. But if you've been here for a while and you've been touched a few times, I believe God's now calling you a little higher to a mountain. A mountain is a place where things are uh, greater. On the mountain level, you have, you have, you have, you have a transformation, something greater. And, 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 and this, there's going to be an opportunity for you. I believe God schedules opportunities. God himself calls people to things, greater things, higher things. But as a church, we also try to set this up. And uh, we started this actually when we first started City Chapel, the first 21 days of January. We were going to launch on January 25th. That's when we started. And so we said, okay, 21 days before January 25th, we're going to fast and pray during those days as a launch team. And that's what we did. We gathered in, I, I, there was like one home, I think, that we gathered in. And there was like, I don't know, 15 of us. And we would pray and we would seek God. And you say, well, that, that's great. And yes, and it was great, but it's not just about praying. It's about what happens inside of people when they decide to put God first. When they decide that the first 21 days I'm setting aside to fast and to pray and to seek God. And what we've noticed, what Ro and I have noticed, we talk about this every year, is that it's like, okay, th this is normally what happens. We'll, we'll set aside these 21 days and I'll, I'll preach about it, you know, and we'll talk about it and we'll challenge people. And then we'll say, okay, Monday night, because what we do is we pray every evening, Monday through Friday. We get together and we're going to gather in different people's homes. And so usually what happens is the first Monday night, there's like eight people. And I know the church has kind of grown in the past year, but there's still probably only going to be, only going to be about eight. <laughs> Let's face it. Uh, it's only about, you know, like you, like, like you have a potluck, you get lots of people. You have a prayer meeting. Anyway, you get about eight people. Because not a lot of people want to go to the mountain. A lot of people are happy down on the beach in the multitude. And so, and so, and, and that's fine. And, I, and we understand that. But what we've noticed is that there's like eight people and many of these eight people will be fairly new to City Chapel. Like they've been only coming for the last like six months or something. We barely know them. And it's cool. We get a chance to get to know them. But it's also amazing that these people show up. Because I'm always like, well, that's like, you know. I'm always surprised by that. At first, I was a little frustrated because I'm like, all right, where are the elders? Where are the staff? What's going on? Where's the Like, I'm calling people, telling them to get, you better be here in prayer meeting. As you can tell, that's kind of my personality. I'm like, come on, everybody, we're all jumping in. But after, after the first year, I really learned to just let people make their own decisions about the mountain. Because what happens is, what, what, what I noticed was people who came because I told them to come, they didn't really get a whole lot out of it. But people that wanted, that felt the call of Jesus to come to the mountain, those people, what happened, we have about eight people the first night, and it was cool. I'm like, wonderful, man, get eight people out for prayer meeting, that's awesome. Tuesday night, there's like 11 people. By the end of the week on Friday night, there's like 15 folks here praying, and it's great. The second week is always the greatest week, I don't know why. The second week, we have like 30 people on the first day. I think it's because I've been preaching about it, we've been excited. And it's like, but you know what, eight, it's the same eight, and it's like 22 new people. And then that week kind of wanes on. Then you get into the third week, which for some reason is really tough. And then you're down to about 15 people, but the original eight are still there. It's amazing to me. It's amazing to me. Last year, like I, I remember um, Jason, J Jason, Jason, Mon is it? I can never pronounce his name correctly. I, I, I struggle. Jason M. Jason M. Uh, was somebody who was living with, was living with a, a relative in, in central Austin. Didn't even have a car half the time. So I was driving. He was like, Pastor, can you pick me up? So I'd, be, I'd drive, pick him up. We'd come pray. I'd drive, drop him off. It was crazy to me. The, the, the ones that God calls and the ones who respond... Because I wouldn't have thought Jason would. He was a pretty new Christian. Just got baptized. I'm like, well, I don't know that he's ready for the mountain. But it's like, he is. And I'm like... 
Okay, all right. So I've learned, one, not to prejudge people and not to think who God's calling who he's not calling. But two, man, I've learned that, that those people who show up, like some people just make a decision. Like, I, they, I swear, they must make a decision in December because there's no way they can make it, you know, that early in January. So they just decide, man, I'm going every night to prayer. That's what I'm going to do. And those people that do that, oh my goodness, life change. Just you see them take steps up a mountain to a higher, greater level. So I want to put this out to you. I think we're starting January 9th. I think that's our first Monday night of our 21 days of prayer and fasting. If God's calling you to a higher level, you might just right now want to put that on your calendar and say, okay, I'm going to fast something in some way in January, and we're going to talk more about that, but I'm going to show up. For me, showing up for the prayer meetings is so impactful. And the first time is probably not going to rock your world. The second time, you're probably going to be the same you, but after 21 days of, of, of working, look, the, the, the the key to success within the multitude is initiation, right? So you, you, you get prepared, you get there early, you lean in. That's cool. The key to success on the mountain is persistence. Because this thing's like three and a half miles away. Because this thing isn't going to happen today, this morning. You're not just going to boop up the mountain. There's no elevators <laughs> up this mountain, all right? There's no rocket ships that suddenly get you there. This is an 820-foot climb, and if it was Rose, she would have gone up that side of the rock face, you know? Now, if it's me, I'm going the longer way, right? Right between those two, right? A nice, steady incline. Uh, we had, uh, Ro and I, we were all by ourselves this past holiday, so the day after Thanksgiving, I said, hey, let's go on a date. We got the gift card. Somebody uh, for Pastor Appreciation got us a gift card to Cheesecake Factory, and, uh, and so that's cool, but also we get to go to the mall, which we never get to do because she doesn't like malls, but I love malls, and so we go to the mall on the day after Thanksgiving, which is the best time to go for people who like malls, I guess. I don't know. For other people, Ro was like, there's a lot of people here, and I'm like, yeah. It's all good, you know? And, and so we went into the Oakley store because Oakleys are never on sale, but on Black Friday, they were like all 30% off. And I was like, babe, 30% off is a big deal. And so Ro got, so I was like, babe, if you want to give me something for Christmas, like you give me the, so anyway, so I'm trying on these different Oakleys. And, uh, and, I, and they're like, well, like, well, like one of the, and so Ro is very personal. She's talking to people. So she gets connecting to the sales guy. I'm over there like trying on different stuff. Like, and so, so I walk over, I'm like, all right, what, what do you think this and this? Like, I kind of like this lens, but it's a little different. And the guy said, oh yeah, that's our, that's our trail, our trail lens. That's what I think what he call it, trail lens. And I'm like, okay, what's that for? He's like, well, like for when you're out on the trail, like biking trail or hiking trail. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I know what that's like. Like, and Rose, like, he never, he's never going to be on a trail. There's no trail for him. And I said, it's because I haven't had the right glasses, babe. I haven't, haven't had the Oakley's for the trail. <laughs> no, no, I'm not going on no trail. Like, forget that. I want, I, I want the trail look, but I don't want to be on the trail. You know what I'm saying? Like, like these shoes, these are running shoes. I'm not running in these shoes. I just like the look. And so, <laughs> some of you Christians, man, you got, the, you got the look, but you ain't never been on the trail. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. God's calling you to get on the trail, man. Some, some, something that takes a little time. Something that takes a little time, yeah. Yeah, and it's way cheaper, too. You don't even have to pay 130 bucks for the glasses. It's cheaper. It's cheap. It's more economical. God's calling us to get on the trail. And so if you feel that call. Now, now if you don't feel that call, if you're like, I'm still, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy on the beach. Okay. Well, I have learned not to force people. <laughs> I've learned not to drag people up the mountain. That doesn't work too well. I've learned that when Jesus calls you, though, that when Jesus calls you, he gives you the strength. He gives you the persistence. He gives you the, 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 the stick to itness to start up this trail and to keep going up the trail to make your way up all 820 feet onto the mountain. It's a greater level. It's also a higher level. So at, on the mountain, you have a greater perspective of what God's doing. You can see more 
of, 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 of what God's doing. You can see more of, of, what's, of, 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 of what's going on. You, you, have a, you have a higher perspective. So many times in Scripture, God has called people to the mountain, right? He called Moses to come up to the mountain. And it was there that God showed him his glory. It was there that God gave him the Ten Commandments. It was there that God gave him a higher perspective for the nation of Israel in general. Right? He called uh, Elijah. To come up to the mountain. Uh, there's a passage, and uh, I'm not gonna, not gonna have it, but uh, for you. But in Ezekiel 40, he actually calls Ezekiel to the mountain, and he calls Ezekiel to the mountain, and, and it says in the in the 20, I think it's in yeah, it's in chapter 40, the 25th year of our captivity is verse one. But then scrolling on down, uh, verse two, it says that in the vision God took me into the land of Israel and sat me on a very high mountain. And then in verse 4 it says, and there was a man there, and the man said to me, Son of man, look with your eyes, hear with your ears, and fix your mind on everything that I show you, for you were brought here so that I might show them to you. In other words, God often brings us to mountains for us to see things that we couldn't see from the beach. For us to get a vision for our lives that we couldn't have from where we were. And so, and so January, man, is a, is a mountain climbing season, but really it can be November 30th if you want, November 27th if you want. Like you can take steps to a higher level and as you pursue and persist and, and get closer to God, what happens is you get a better perspective of everything. So that, so that a lot of the fruit of the Spirit, it's not conjured up by you. You don't have to work at loving people when you're on the mountain because you see they're from the same place you're from. They see they're struggling with the same stuff you struggle with. So it's not as hard to be kind. It's not the fruit of the Spirit is not an exercise for you to work out. It is something that after you have worked out the climb, from that place, it becomes natural. Self-control becomes natural when you have the perspective to be able to see what lack of self-control does. And you're like, I don't want that. I don't want to go there. I don't want to be trapped inside of that. And so, so much of what we struggle with down on the beachhead, actually, if you just got a higher perspective on it, it would be so much easier. It would be so much uh, more effortless so that it is literally, it is the Holy Spirit working inside of you as he gives you this other perspective. Um, Elijah in 1 Kings 19, God called him up on the mountain and he goes up onto the mountain. Remember, it was because God asked him, what are you doing here? And Elijah said, man, uh, nobody hates me. Everybody wants to kill me. I'm going to eat some worms. And, and, and God said, okay, go up on the mountain. And so Elijah goes on the mountain. And then God passes before him in a thunderstorm. And then he passes before him in this strong wind. And, he, and all, it causes all these things to go in front of him. And yet he doesn't sense God in any of those things. And then he hears a still, small voice. And that is God. So God will call us on the mountain to see things we haven't seen before, but also to hear things that we haven't heard before and to have a new way of connecting with God, to have a new way of hearing from God. So why do I need a new way? Because the old way isn't working anymore. <laughs> Elijah doesn't know why he's there. He's lost sight of his purpose. He's lost track of, of why he's even there. And God says, okay, you need to go on the mountain so that you can get a new way of hearing from me because you're not hearing anymore. You're beat up by the world. You're beat up by your mistakes. You're beat up by people who are against you. You've spent so long trying to fight that you've lost track of the fact that the, it is a still small voice. It's not a tornado. And so we, sometimes he calls us to the mountain because it's quieter up there. <laughs> he calls us to the mountain because there's less people. Not as busy, which is another point about mountains is that mountains are also lonelier. They're lonelier places. There's not as many people on the mountain as there is on the beach. The multitudes are on the beach, but the mountain is not as many people there. Which means, and this is why we were talking about this recently in staff meeting, that it's, it's interesting. You see some people and they get fired up for God. And they start walking toward the mountain and halfway up the mountain, they realize that, that people they really care about are no longer walking with them. And they realize, wait a minute, I thought I was going up the mountain and yet these people aren't coming with me. And they love the world too much to say goodbye to people who aren't going with them. 
And so they reduce their level. They bring down their level of commitment, their level of holiness, their level of love for God, down to the level of those people who are around them and who they love. Because they don't want to lose them. And yet Jesus tells us about this in Luke chapter 14. It's not on the screen, but in verse 26, Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, does not hate his wife and children, does not hate his brothers and sisters, yes, even hates their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now, he's not, he's not advocating hate. He's saying that based on your love for Jesus, you literally have to be ready to say goodbye to everybody else. You have to be ready to, to like, like, like Pilgrim's Progress, right? Like, like, look at your wife, give her a kiss goodbye and say, Honey, I'm praying that you'll come with me, but if you won't come with me, I'm going out of the city of destruction. I am going to the hill country. I am going to a place of life. And I, I can't make this decision for you, Pastor Harry said. You can't drag people up the mountain. And as much as I want to drag my kids, as much as I want to drag my spouse, as much as I want to drag my parents, as much as I want to grab a hold of some people and just shake them, I can't do it. What I can do is I can go up the mountain myself. And I can pray for them and I can be kind to them and I can wish them well, but I will not stay on the beach with them because I have been called because I've heard a call from Jesus. I've heard a call from Jesus. And so, and so I, I, even in my own life, I have to leave behind parts of me. I have to leave behind ways of thinking and ways of acting and reacting and value systems. I leave those things behind. And the mountain is a bit lonelier. Because some friends that you had, some deep, close relationships, Jesus is hitting all the closest relationships that we could possibly have. And he's saying, look, none of them are more important than me. None of them are worth losing me for. And so, so you say goodbye. And there are some people now, now there's different people in different stages of life, right? And, and there's some people that, man, their, their, their kids are so far from God that if you sacrifice your walk with God in order to relate to your kids, you'll lose both. Nobody ever climbed up the mountain because somebody hung out with them on the beach. Nobody ever decided to change their life because somebody compromised their way into, into communion with them. That's not how that works. We, we all go up the mountain because we hear the voice of Jesus. And our response to Jesus, because sometimes our kids or our spouses haven't heard that voice yet. And that's okay. We're not going to judge them. We're not going to, uh, you know, uh, treat them any different way. But, but for us, if you are hearing that voice, if you're feeling that pull, jump in. Respond to it. Take a step up the mountain. It is greater. It is higher. It is lonelier. But it is there that you find your why. It is there that you find your purpose. It's there that you receive power. We see here, as we continue on this passage, that uh, if you can pull that, that passage back up, verse uh, 13, that he himself went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted. And that's key to the mountain. I said before that initiation is key to being in the multitude. Persistence is key to getting on the mountain. That's true. But the, the impetus or the reason why you're there to begin with is different too. People who are in the multitude are there because they have lack in their life, because they have need. If you didn't, you'd never come to church. <laughs> if your marriage was always awesome, if your finances were always killer, if everything happened exactly the way you thought it should happen, you wouldn't need God. And so life crashes and wheels fall off and trains wreck and things happen and God uses, or the old, uses life's bruises. It rhymes, so it must be true. Um, he uses that as a means of saying, wait a minute, my life is not, I am not in control. There's something other than me. And for atheists, this is very, this ticks them off, you know. <laughs> They're real frustrated at this. Because they've decided, no, I am in control. And then their brain starts melting. Because they're not in control. They can't keep their children alive. 
right? They, they can't avoid disaster. They can't avoid disease. They, they Literally, they're not in control. And the sooner you realize this, the sooner you're ready to receive from God. So people who come to the multitude, it's because they know their life's not perfect. They need God. And so they, they, they gather the multitude because of need. But the mountain is different. You don't climb the mountain because of need. You climb the mountain because of a desire, not that you have, but that he has for you. He says he called to those, called to himself those he himself wanted. And it's really important to remember that as God is calling you into the mountain, he's calling you to the mountain because he desires you. And I kind of mini preached on that last week. I don't know. It was supposed to be a communion time and I kind of just started preaching on the fact that God, that the desire of a father is the impetus for the sacrifice of the son. His desire for us. That's the, that's the driving force. John three sixteen. for God so loved and then everything else happened after that. He so desired us. He so longed for us. His desire for us is the reason why he has called us higher. And I can just imagine, now remember this is written, this gospel is written by Mark, who Eusebius said was dictated basically this gospel from the apostle Peter, because Mark was Peter's translator in Rome from the church that Peter started. And when, and Eusebius says, uh, he's an early church historian, that when uh, Peter went to leave Rome, the church in Rome said, no, 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 wait, uh, like, please leave us your stories right? Because just like Rocky, he told a lot of stories. And so, uh, and so they said, please leave us your stories because we need your stories. And so that's what Peter did. Peter sat down with Mark and he said, all right, Mark, write this down. This is the stories that I've been sharing with these people for the past several years. These are the stories that will tell them who Jesus is. These are the stories that will tell them who they are. And so this is from Peter's perspective, really. And he says, look, Jesus called us up to the mountain and he called those that he himself wanted. And I'm sure that was a bit of revelation that Peter didn't have when he was on the beach. Because I can imagine Jesus is up on the mountain, on the, 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 the little twin peaks up there, and Jesus calls out, Peter, I want you to join me on the mountain. Oh yeah, that's because I, I got the glasses. It's because I got the shoot. It's because I got these leadership skills. That's why he wants me up on the mountain. Because I have something to offer him. Man, whoa, I can impact the kingdom. I'll tell you what, I can help. I can help Jesus spread this word because I'm a gatherer. I'm a fisher of men. I'm influential in my community. I'm a leader of men, right? And so he's walking on up the hill and then Jesus calls his, uh, Peter's brother. Well, of course, he's related to me. So I guess that, that makes sense that he would, he's kind of gets runs in the family, you know. And then James and John, and it's like, okay, well, yeah, that sort of makes sense. They got some, they got some attribute. Isn't it interesting? In my mind, as Pete's walking up this hill, he's evaluating the criteria for his calling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you've done that. I've done that too. 1994, October 2nd. In 1994, at uh, Port Huron, Michigan, in the YMCA, God called me. And it's almost like an audible voice. God called me to preach. And I wish that, like, sometimes as a 42-year-old, I could go back to my 14-year-old self and tell him, look, Harry, it's great that God called you, but it's not because of what you got. <laughs> I, I, I liked, I'd love to be able to go past that. I, I would actually pass a lot of wisdom onto that 14 year old kid, but, but that would be the main, I think that would be the main thing. Like, it's not because of what you have. Even though, as you go up the mountain, you're going to realize you got all this stuff. Good stuff. There are spiritual gifts inside of you that have not been unlocked yet. And so you're going to realize God's going to start pulling these things out. And you're like, oh my gosh, I never knew that I could do that. I never knew that I could operate in that. And he's going to reveal so many things. But remember, it's not because of what you got. It's because he desires you. He desires you. So it's not, so because, because at the same time, you know, it can be encouraging to feel like, oh yeah, God, God needs me because of what I have. It's like I can feel needed. I can feel like there's a place where I can serve and I can help. And that, that helps you get encouraged. But at the same thing that will encourage you will also discourage you. 
Because then you're, then you're going to realize that what you got is not enough for the need. You don't have enough to meet the need. You're not smart enough and quick enough and wise enough and a good enough communicator. You don't have what you need. Now the thing that encourages you will discourage you. So some people go up the mountain and they come back down the mountain because they don't realize why they were called. That you're called because God desires you. Desires he himself wanted. These are the ones that he wanted. Because it had to have been a shock, right? You're going up the mountain and, and Peter, well, sure, he's a leader. That makes sense. But Bartholomew, what does he do? 2,000 years later, we're still kind of scratching our heads on that one. I, mean, I guess he was a good guy, probably. <laughs> the son of Thaddeus. Cool. And then Judas. That guy's sketchy. He was sketchy before he betrayed him. I mean, he was. The disciples are like, uh, huh. so why are we calling that guy? What's up? What's up? What's up with that guy? How come? Like, it, and if you're evaluating based on merit, based on holiness, based on gifts, based on capabilities, you're going to miss the point. There's going to be some people going up the hill that you're like, ah, they shouldn't be going up this hill <laughs> they shouldn't be and that's what's in that's what's interesting about these 21 days of prayer and fasting as I've noticed the people who I thought should be going up the hill weren't going up the hill and the people who I thought shouldn't be going up the hill were going up the hill I'm like well, yeah I don't think you're quite ready but it's not about readiness he called those that he himself wanted so this is the desire of our Heavenly Father. This is, our, this is the impetus. This is the reason why we're called. And then it says, he himself wanted, and they came to him. Then he appointed 12. And this is the primary calling of the 12, that they might be with him. And this is where people get confused about their calling. They start feeling like they're called to do something called to teach something, called to bring something, called to serve in some way. But no, the primary calling of these 12 is that they might be with Jesus. And that's actually what they said about him in, in the book of Acts, that they noticed that these, these, these 12 guys were not very bright. They hadn't been educated. <laughs> they didn't have a lot of gifts. They weren't powerful communicators, but they had been with Jesus. And there was something different about people who had been with Jesus. So the pri your primary calling, don't forget, your, uh, my primary calling is to be with Jesus. He called me to preach, yeah, as an excuse that I could be with him. <laughs> he called these disciples, yeah, but not to be discipled, but to be with him. So therefore, it takes all competition out. It takes all self-striving out. It takes all levels of kind of evaluating how good of a disciple or bad of a disciple I am. If my calling is to be with him, then the only question is, am I being with him? Am I being with him? Am I, am I enjoying him? Am I getting to know him? Am I being with him? He may call me to serve the coffee at, get here at 4.30 a.m. like they do. And... Uh, But, and that's lovely, but am I being with Jesus? Because serving coffee is one thing and hot chocolate is lovely, but what the world needs is people who have been with Jesus. This is the call of every Christian to be with him. This is the mountain. Mountain moments are moments with Jesus when we are with him. He's calling you. He's calling you to be with him. You don't have to wait till January 9th to be with him. You know, you don't. In fact, it does, to be with him is not a multitude thing. You don't have to wait till Sunday. You can be with him Sunday afternoon. You can be with him Monday morning. You can be with him Tuesday night. This is our primary duty. Not to, and, and, and it's so easy to get distracted, especially the more you do for him, that you forget the reason he called you is to be with him. Which means you can stop doing things for him sometimes. <laughs> if it's getting in the way of you being with him, by all means, say, stop, stop, just stop doing things and start being with him. Work on the, 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 the exercise or the, the practice 
of being with him. This is the primary calling, is to be with Jesus, to sit with him, to read his word, to pray, to connect with him, to be with him. This is what the world needs. So he calls him to be with him, and then the purpose of being with him is that he might send them out. And this is why I say you don't find your mission among the multitude, you find your mission on the mountain. That as you are with him, he sends you out. When we, when we planted City Chapel, uh, I was on staff at Promised Land San Marcos, and we were super happy there. It was a great church, is still a great church. We love Promised Land. I was on staff. I, everything was good. It was great. We were having 21 days of prayer and fasting in January there. And I was in my office praying and fasting, and I was reading uh, this, this book that I had got from Wales uh, when I visited Wales uh, years ago on the 100th anniversary of the Welsh Revival. And uh, many of you heard me talk about the Welsh Revival a lot with Evan Roberts. And so this is a book, and, the, and it had all this, the, these uh, newspaper clippings from, uh, from interviews with, with Evan Roberts. And as I was reading that, man, God just began to stir in my heart that what he was saying was actually prophetic of, of not just 1904, which is when this happened, but also 2014, which is when, when, we were, when I was reading this, that God is not finished yet. And that as, as comfortable as I am at a large church like Promised Land and Promised Land and <laughs> the Promised Lamb, and as, as happy as I am with everything that's going on, that, that, that God is calling us to go to South Austin and, and meet in a, a theater and then a school. And, then, you know, and it began, God began stirring this inside of me. And yet I knew that there was a problem. I was a good associate pastor because I'm really good at doing stuff. I'm great at getting stuff done. They used to call me the hammer. <laughs> that was my, one, of my, one of my nicknames at Promised Land. Because we're going we're gonna to put the hammer down. We're going to get stuff done. Right? And then my other nickname was the dove. So that was the Holy Spirit, which I thought was weird. But anyway, uh, it was all because this one lady, it was funny. It was, yeah, it was an inside joke. So I was the dove and I was the hammer, which is kind of godly. I figure that's a good end. And so that, and that's what made me a good associate pastor. But in order to be a senior pastor, you have to care for people. <laughs> not just, not just hammer away. Not just go with the dove wherever he's going. You don't care about people, because that's in the word, pastor. It is to shepherd people, not schedules, right? people. And so I said, Lord, like you can, and specifically, I was good with pastoring people that I thought were pastorable. You know what I mean? Like folks that come in, good, like good people. Like I like sheep, I don't like goats. So I'm like, but yet I realized that if I'm going to go to South Austin, like Austin is full of goats. There's just goats everywhere. Butting heads with each other, butting heads with people, just crashing into the, like just rebellious. I don't know if you ever had a goat. We had pet goats one time. If you tell them, if you set a boundary for them, that's not a boundary, it's a challenge. <laughs> so like we used to have a, my, my car at the time, I'd come out in the morning and they'd be up on top of the car because they knew I didn't want them on top of the car. Like that's just the way goats think. So then I get a football and get some, like kind of knock them off the car. <laughs> ah, I'm the hammer. Like I'm not, I'm not down with rebellion. This is ridiculous. It's my car, bro. You get your own car. Think you're so smart, but no, I'm just, and so I said, Lord, like if I'm going to reach these people, you're going to have to give me a part of your heart for these people. Because I don't have it. Personally, I think people that just want to go their own way, I'm like, see ya. Cool. You have fun with that. Good luck. <laughs> That's my personality. I'm like, man, I, I don't roll with that. I don't put up with that with my kids. I don't put up with it. Like in my life, it's not okay. Like we, we need some order. We need some, because I, cause I am humble and I am submitted. And so I figure everybody should be. <laughs> it really is it re really is uh, that's, that's why when we started City Chapel I'm not the lead guy we have three overseers over City Chapel who tell me stuff that I don't necessarily like and I, I obey it 
right? And that's why we set up a board of, of trustees from within the church who set my salary and said, and I can't even take out a loan on my own, right? And so I, I am under authority. I agree with that. And people who aren't down with that, I kind of get bothered by them. I'm like, well, that's not safe. That's not smart. It's not good. You need to be under authority. So, you know, to come to Austin where like a th nobody wants to be under authority and everybody just wants to do their own thing and keeping it weird. And it's not even that weird. Come on. I've been to much weirder places in my life. That's another thing. People that think they're weird, they're really not weird. I'm like, no, you don't even know weird, dude. You're just, you're still a Texan for crying out loud. Like you still got cowboy boots. How weird is that? You still say y'all. Like it's not that weird. And so, you know, I said, God, you're going to have to give me a heart for these people. And so as I was with him, and I, and I just noticed this, as I'm reading the Bible, I start noticing all the times that Jesus reached out to stubborn people. All the times that Jesus, not in a mean way, not as a hammer, but gently calling stubborn, rebellious people, religious people, non-religious people, like guys that were just guys that I would have given up on right Herod no we're not we're, no he's a jerk we're not dealing with him yet Jesus extends these invitations and, 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 and I and it was not something I tried to do it was something that naturally welled up inside of my heart this compassion that God had for stubborn rebellious people and he just did it and so, and so I'm telling you from personal experience that when God calls you to a higher level and you realize you don't have what you need at that level to do what he's calling you to do, just say, let me be with you. And would you pass that off to me? That thing you got, that compassion you got for these folks. Because I, 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 I kind of want to call down thunder and lightning on him. I want to just fire in brimstone like I want to be I'm the James and John that's me I'm the sons of thunder let's go let's roll that's how we roll just like Michigan right on over the Buckeyes just that's how we roll it's just boom 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 just take them out and yet God has this compassion <laughs> God has this mercy and I need that and some of you need a little more like hammer in your life so I'm, I'm saying I'm, I'm like we're all different but we all realize where we fall short and if you're going up that mountain, you realize pretty quickly, I don't have what it takes. I got the glasses, but I don't have what it takes. I need you. And he'll, he'll, he'll share a bit of his nature with you. He'll share a bit of his compassion with you. He'll share a bit of his judgment with you if that's what you're missing. Like he'll share it with you, but it only comes by being with him. This is the call to be with him. And then when we are with him, he says that he gave them power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. Uh, later on in Mark, I think we do have this passage. Um, yeah, Mark, uh, I think it's 20, uh, 16, uh, if you have that passage. Um, it, it sort of gives a, a bit of a, another way. Jesus says in verse uh, 17, 18, he says, and these signs will follow those or accompany those who believe in my name, they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, and they will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, uh, it will not uh, affect them or hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. And so I want to encourage you that the mountain isn't just sacrifice and heavy and, man, there's a lot of awesome power on the mountain that's waiting for you. That's waiting for you. He says, he says, in my name, they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Uh, I was going to preach this two weeks ago and I never got around to it because I was spent too long on the multitude. But Sunday night, we went to sleep and Monday morning, that, that, Monday, that next Monday, I woke up super early to these loud banging, crashing going on in Madden's bedroom. And so Roe was up. I, I wake up and get some pants on and I walk in there. And Roe was dealing with, with, with Madden's dog, Bolt is his name from the cartoon. And uh, Bolt, I guess, was having a seizure or seizures of some sort. He was like pooping all over the carpet. He couldn't stand up and he was, things were not well with Bolt and, and we didn't know what was going on. So Roe was cleaning up, you know, and calling the vet and this is like, I don't know, 6 a.m. or something. Just not when I'm normally up. 7.15, okay. So... <laughs> 
which on a Monday morning is really, really hard for me. So I'm like, okay, what's going on? And she's like, I don't know. He's like having seizures. I don't know why. And he's drooling everywhere. And it's just, it's kind of, it's weird. We've never had anything like that with him before. And he's a couple of years old. And um, so we didn't know. And so Rose, like, I got to take care of the horses and then I'll come back. And so she texts our prayer team, by the way, uh, if you have any prayer needs, call us, text us. We have an awesome prayer team. They'll start praying immediately. Uh, they're up at 7.15, so that's awesome. <laughs> Glad somebody is. Uh, and, um, and so Madden's sitting there with Bolt on the floor, and she's, uh, you know, she's trying to keep him comfortable. And so uh, I'm there in the bedroom, and, and I remember this passage. Jesus said, and this is the word of God, that those who, those who follow me, these signs will, those who believe in me, these signs will, will follow them. They will lay hands on the sick, in my name, they will lay hands on the sick, and the sick will recover. And so I walked into Madden's room, and I said, have you guys prayed for Bolt? And she said, yeah, mom, mom prayed. And I said, great. And I said, I'm sure mom's praying right now, and she's doing horses and stuff. And I said, this is what the Bible says, that those who believe in Jesus, that they will, in his name, lay hands on the sick, and the sick will recover. I said, do you believe that's true? Because that's really important, that faith connects with it, I, I, I believe it's true. I believe the Bible is true. I just do. It says that I'm forgiven of my sin, that if I call on the name of the Lord, I will be saved. I believe that is true. I believe I am saved. I believe my sin will not be held against me. And that's a much bigger thing than healing. Because I did, I, I am some evil. I have been an enemy of God. Enemy of someone who died for me. That's even worse. So, so it's a big deal to believe that I am forgiven. And so if I can believe that, this is much easier. And so I said, well, I believe it's true. And so I put my hand on Bolt's head and I said, in Jesus' name, recover. And Bolt started kind of moving around like he wanted to get up. And I was like, whoa, not right now. <laughs> Probably because of my lack of faith. But I was thinking that if he got up and like pooped everywhere, I didn't want to be the one to clean it up. Row was not around. So you gotta wait. You gotta time these things, man. When you have kids, you, some of you have kids, you'll understand. You gotta time this stuff. If there's gonna be an accident, it takes two of you to conquer it, right? I was waiting for some backup. So I said, let's just keep them, just keep them calm. Let's, like, let's just let us keep them on the ground, on the floor, keep them calm. Let's see. And so Row comes back in about 20 minutes, and then Row was like, well, let's see if he'll get up. And he jumped right up. And ran downstairs, and he's ready to go about his day. We're talking to the vet. We don't know what happened. And it's just kind of, it's weird. And uh, then the very next, it was Tuesday. Tuesday, uh, um, uh, Micah came down with this super sore throat, and he got this bad fever. And, and some of you have seen the flu going around. It's kind of a, a mean one. And so that night, um, you know, Roe had been praying. Others have been praying. And I just went and sat on his bed, and I said, this is what the Bible says. In my name, they will lay hands on the sick and the sick will recover. Like, do you believe this? Yes, I believe it's true. Okay, well, in Jesus' name, recover. And I said, tonight, like you wake up in the morning, your fever will be gone. And, and we're, we're seeing this. Ro and I were talking about this just this week, about this passage and, and how the conundrum that it creates because for, for, for us, it's like, man, if this is really true, can't we go to Del Seton? Or the children's hospital, can't we go into rooms, lay hands on people, and they recover? But we're not doing that. Is it because we don't have enough faith? Is it because we don't believe? Or is it because that's just weird? Because <laughs> we get arrested? Like, what, like, what, like, is it social boundaries that stop us? Is it, like, why are we not doing this? And, and the only thing that I can come up with is I think eventually God wants his church to do that. But we're currently not doing it in our own homes. And he doesn't want you to do something at Del Seton that you're not willing to do in your own living room. And so I want to encourage you, if you're on the journey to the mountain, now if you're not, if you're not close to God, then okay, that's fine. Call the prayer team. We'll pray for you. But I'm telling you, if you are on the journey to the mountain, I want to encourage you to start taking authority of your own living room and your own bedrooms and your own spouse. That when she gets sick, you read the word of God, you lay hands on her in the name of Jesus, not on your own power, but based on the word of God, recover. Recover now. Recover immediately. 
You say, well, I don't know if that's going to work. That's, that's called faith. Is the Bible true or isn't it? Is it real? Does it apply to our life or doesn't it? Like at some point we have to, we have to decide. And so, I, and I know many of us would rather just live with a, well, you know, if God wants to do something, he'll do something. Okay, that's lovely. That's not what Jesus told them. Jesus didn't give them power to believe that whatever happens just happens for a reason. And there is, you read a little further in scripture, and there is a sickness that leads to death. Apparently that, doesn't, that one doesn't get healed. <laughs> right? And there is a sickness for the glory of God. And there are different kinds of sickness. So it's not like every single sickness is healed. But I just wonder, I wonder if we're missing the benefits of the gospel. If we're missing the benefits of the mountain because we just aren't willing to put faith in it. And for me, it was a, it was a testimony and a strengthening of my children's faith. Because I believe the word of God. And I think they do. I hope they do. But I believe because I have seen him move in powerful ways. I believe because faith is the substance of things hoped for and it is the evidence of things unseen. And I have seen and I have felt and I have experienced. And if I hadn't experienced and I hadn't felt and I hadn't seen, then I probably would not believe as strongly as I do. And that's why, I don't, that's why I'm not mad at people who don't believe anymore because they haven't yet experienced what I've experienced. And if they could see healing, if they could see the power of God, and I believe God wants to do that for all of us. He wants to stir up our faith. He wants to show us evidence of reality. So I encourage you. Sickness crops up. The flu pops up in your home. Don't just check out and be like, well, I guess we got to wait seven days until it's over. Maybe you do. Maybe you can deal with it immediately. Not because, not because you don't have NyQuil, but because you want to see the power of God in your life. But because you want to give God an opportunity to show himself faithful, to strengthen your faith. Because let me tell you, that helps you go up the mountain a little more. <laughs> These moments of actually his word coming true in your life, it, it helps you move forward and say, okay, well, if he can do that, I guess he can do other things too. I guess maybe he can deal with, with, with generational curses. I guess maybe he can deal with habits that have been stuck in my life forever. Maybe he can deal with addictions. Maybe, maybe I can lay hands on myself and tell myself to be encouraged. Because discouragement is hard to shake, but maybe he can deal with my discouragement, with my fear, with my anxiety. All right, maybe it's more than skin deep, but if he can deal with the fever overnight, which Micah woke up without a fever, if he can deal with a fever overnight. And I checked in on him in the middle of the night, he goes to see how he's sleeping, he's sleeping good. I'm like, all right, good, the fever's gone. But I'm not saying you gotta have super Benny Hinn faith. Many of us don't have that. I don't have that. I'm like, okay, so this is what the Bible says we're gonna do. Like, and that's where you start. You start with the childlike faith. That says, well, I've never seen this before, but he says he'll do it. So I believe he'll do it. Let's go for it. Let's pray. And I believe that he will. Would you stand with me? And I just want to pray over you as we leave. Um, that wherever you're at on this journey, if you're on the beach, if you're moving up the mountain, that you take that next step. In fact, man, if God's calling you, if you feel like God's calling you in this season to take some steps, would you just raise your hands right now just to receive from him? Uh, receive his power and his grace and his help up this mountain because <laughs> it's not of your own strength. He hasn't called you because you're, you're good enough. He hasn't called you because you're capable or he wants something from you. No, no, no. He's calling you because he desires you. And so, Father, in this season, and we're all in different seasons, absolutely different seasons, but Lord, for those who are in this season where they're feeling a draw higher, <laughs> it's like that, that, that old hymn that says, my, 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 my faith has caught another sound, the song of saints on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table land, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Lord, for those that you're calling higher, I just bless them right now in the name of Jesus that you're going to strengthen them. You're going to give them the longevity. You're going to give them the persistence. 
You're going to help them move forward and in this three and a half mile trek up this mountain. And as they're walking, you're going to start explaining some things. You're going to start explaining your desire to them. They're going to start realizing your, how much you really do love them, how much you really do desire to be with them. Lord, I bless them. They're going to find space in their day to spend time with Jesus. They are going to be with him. They are going to be affected by him. They are going to receive some of his nature, his compassion, his love, his truth, his justice, his desire for the nations and for those around us. Lord, we, we will be with you. We make a commitment to be with you. And then, Lord, I pray that you would give them power. Give them the power to, yeah, deal with accidents like snakes biting them. Deal, give them the power to deal with actual demonic powers in their own home. They can't cast out what they're inviting in. So as they stop inviting these things in, that you're going to give them power to recognize them and to cast them out in the name of Jesus. And you're going to give them power over sickness and over diseases. That in your name, not in our own name, but in the name of Jesus, we will lay hands on the sick within our own homes. That our homes will experience divine healing, divine miraculous healing. And as we see it in our living rooms, then we'll take it further beyond that. But Lord, may we see it in our own homes. May our kids grow up to know that there is a God in Israel. There is a God in heaven. There is a God who is powerful. And may we see that for us. Stir up our faith, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you for coming to church today. I'm so glad you did. Have a great day and uh, go Cowboys.